And now for our second message, we have a sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory entitled, Specific Ways of Deception. So I'm like, what am I get? We're told in the scripture that Satan deceiveth the whole world. That's in Revelation 12, 9. And we're told in Galatians 6, verse 7, be not deceived. We're not to be deceived by Satan the devil. Now, we know this, and there are some specific ways that we are deceived. And I'll present a few of those with some scriptures and some references, some without scriptures and some without references, depending on how much time we have. But um, I have 13 points here, and I know there are more than that, uh, some major, some minor, but uh, as I would be thinking about, something else would come to mind and something else would come to mind. So let me go through these first and just see how these register with us. First, God does not exist. Now, on television about a week or so ago, I heard an interviewer talking to some other people about God and the scripture and how he was involved in their life. And one guy said, well, we just have to accept this on faith. After, actually, we can't prove God exists. About that time I was coming out of my seat, but uh, didn't be good because it was on the TV. But uh, we'll look at that. Uh, God does not exist. And uh, the resurrection of Jesus was on Sunday. Sunday has replaced the Sabbath as a holy day. The biblical holy days are done away. Five. Israel is non-existent. Only the Jews are left of Israel. Other religions are okay. That is, Hindus, Buddhists, Catholicism, Protestantism, Communism, Humanism, Evolution. Some of those, you might say, are not religions, but, uh, you know, they have a religious fervency in some of those. And the eighth one is, man has an immortal soul that immediately upon death goes to heaven or hell. The Trinity Doctrine. The cross is okay. It's a Christian symbol. Homosexual conduct is okay. Bible prophecy, we can't understand it. And the rapture of the saints, they'll all be just caught away. Now, that is 13 false deceptive doctrines that are taught. And I'm going to take a few of these. Some of them I will not cover because of time. But most of them we, have, over the years, have been studying on these. And we know that uh, uh, we have researched a lot of the material on a lot of these different doctrines over the years. But uh, the first one is contradictory, and that is proof God exists. Now, here's some proof that God exists. I'm going to look at the scriptures first, and then we will uh, oh, uh, consider some of the uh, uh, historical or reference notes that we might have. And uh, Colossians 1.15 says, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be 
thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things exist because of Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.14. Now this is an interesting uh, reference here. Uh, and sometimes we need to uh, look at it carefully. Revelation 3.14 says... Unto the angel, this is within the messages to the churches there in western Turkey. Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Write, these things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, we have here in the Greek really, the beginner of of the creation of God. Let me read a reference here from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown concerning this uh, scripture reference here in Revelation 3.14. Get it open here. Just a brief reference. And he whom God created first, but as is God, the beginner of all creation, its originating instrument. All question would not be represented addressing him if he were but one of themselves. His being the creator is a principle for his faithfulness as the witness and amen. So you go to many references that show that Jesus could not have been created. He was the originator. He was the creator. We just saw that in scriptures. He was before everything. He created everything and he brought it all into existence. Now... You might uh, think of uh, this proof of God exists going back to that. You know, all things exist because of God. We have a number of things. We have uh, creation, laws, answered prayer, fulfilled prophecy. We have uh, the origin and sustainer of life. We have uh, the Bible itself. We've just been looking at that and studying. We have the Bible itself. And the divine purpose behind it. I know man wants to destroy and get rid of it and ignore it. But we have the Bible itself and all of its revelation to us to prove that God exists. In uh, Isaiah 45 verse 18. Isaiah 45 18 says, For thus is the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. So God had a purpose and a reason for creation of all of this out here. Now, unfortunately, man spend billions of dollars trying to go into outer space and, and uh, they're looking for their origin from uh, one-celled amoeba or uh, some slime that crawled up in the ocean or a monkey. or a, Now they've got a belief that man came from the aliens out in space and they're trying to spend money to go out to find those aliens out there that are precursors to our human race. And just think if they would convert all of those billions of dollars from that space exploration into things that could be helpful on this earth, it would be a different, uh, different story here. But uh, that one scripture there uh, that helps us to see that Jesus is not the beginning of God's creation, but he was the beginner of God's creation. He is the one, the originator, the one that created. Now, the resurrection of Jesus, let me just say this. The resurrection of Jesus was not on Sunday. Now, Catholicism, Protestantism, we'll look at that a little later. They want us to believe, and this is a lie, this is a deception of Satan, that Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. Now, in Mark 9.31, we'll go uh, to some uh, of the words of Jesus. Mark 9.31. 9, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. So we're going to look and see what is the third day. Then in Matthew 12, 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall a Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights, not parts, three days, not parts, not idioms, 
not four days, but three days and three nights. So, in John 21, John 20, verse 1, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And then in uh, Mark 16, 9, Now, when Jesus was risen, early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven de devils, demons. Now, I want to read this verse from the Goodspeed translation of the New Testament. And then talk about this a little bit. Now, after that he had risen, comma, after that he had risen, comma, now we know in the Greek and the Hebrews, uh, there were sentence uh, endings, periods, but very seldom was a comma used. And sometimes in a sentence there could be several commas. And we're going to talk about this in, in just a minute here. Uh, he said, he appeared first to Mary of Magdalene, after whom he had driven out seven evil spirits. So, if we put the comma, now when Jesus was risen, comma, early the first day of the week, it changes the meaning, doesn't it? It's like, remember when he was on the cross there, in, uh, and this is recorded in uh, Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 43. We've talked about this before. Jesus said unto him, to the thief, the one on the cross here, Verily I say unto you, today, comma, shall you be with me in paradise. Well, if you move the comma, verily I say unto you, comma, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus was lying to him, wasn't it? If he told him, today you're going to be with me in paradise, because he was three days and three nights. He wasn't, and the thief went uh, to death, not to be resurrected for a long time. So that couldn't be it. So if we take the comma, and Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you today, Verily I say to you today, comma, with me you shall be in paradise. It changes the whole meaning of that sentence, doesn't it? Now, we know, and I'm going to uh, read here a little bit from um, the dictionary about the comma, because we all know this and we study this a lot, but comma is one of the most used punctuation marks in the English language. And uh, let me just read here. Uh, a comma is used between words, phrases, and clauses that are in the same construction and not connected by a uh, conjunction expressed or implied. So we know that uh, a comma has uh, important use in the sentence. It gives sense to the structure of the sentence. So if we put the comma in the wrong place, we can misunderstand and change the whole meaning of that. So we have to look at that carefully. Now, the uh, next point that I want to cover is Sunday has not replaced the Sabbath. Let's look in Acts, the 20th chapter, verse 7. Acts 27. And upon the first day of the week, now, Brian's pretty quick on the scriptures getting me, uh, I told him, uh, I may have given you some wrong scriptures because I had a couple I, we caught that were wrong reference, so I hope these are all, most of these are correct. Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached on them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Now, he was going to go from Troas, about 20 miles later, and walk down to Asos, because they had to go, the ship left early. I'm just paraphrasing some of these other verses, leaving them out. The ship had to go around the peninsula and back, and so he was going to preach unto them. Now notice this. Upon the first day of the week, when in the Bible does the day start? Sundown. Starts sundown. First day of the week, Sunday starts Saturday night at sundown. So when the disciples came together to break bread, this was not a preaching uh, expression. This was a meal. So they came together to eat a meal Saturday night. Then after that meal, Paul preached to them, ready to depart tomorrow till, till midnight. And he continued his speech until midnight. Now the other things happened, but he spoke from, oh, seven, eight o'clock till about midnight. He didn't go from Sunday morning all the way through Sunday day, all the way through Sunday night, all the way to midnight on Sunday. No, 
This was Saturday night because the next day, Sunday day, he was going to walk that about 20 miles over and join the rest of the companions because he wanted to use that time to uh, speak to those in Troas Saturday night and to preach to them. And while the boat, while the other disciples were going around taking the long way around in the boat. Now, in um, 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, verse 2. Let's read 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. What? Uh, if I come on Sunday and there's no gatherings, nobody's going to be there. Is that what he's saying? No. He is gathering fruit. He is gathering um, uh, assistance for the poor brethren down in Jerusalem. And he is saying, on the first day of the week, you go out in your fields and you gather and you work and you, you gather in all that food so that when I come, there won't be any gatherings. He's not saying don't not work on Sunday, but he is saying work on Sunday so that when I come to you, we won't be having to stop and gather, uh, and take that extra day and gather. So have it ready for me is what he's saying. In Acts, the 17th chapter, verse 1 through 3. Acts 17, 1 through 3. Now, when they had passed through Amphiphilus and Apollonius, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So the scriptures tell us very clearly that this was Paul's custom, it was his habit, it was his way that he did of preaching on the Sabbath. Saturday Sabbath, not Sunday. And we're going to look at that uh, here in just a little bit. Now, I want to uh, read from uh, some references here. Uh, let's see if I've, if I've got them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, there are a lot of uh, references that a lot of us have gathered over the years. Some uh, we bought, some are free, some are uh, large voluminous books, uh, some are just uh, booklets. And um, this is uh, Remember the Sabbath Day by Ellis Short. Some of you may know him. Sunday is a Catholic institution, and its claims to observance can be defended only on Catholic principles. From beginning to end of scriptures, there is not a single passage that warrants the transfer of weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. It is well to remind, and that's from uh, Catholic Press. This one he quotes, and now he's quoting from a lot of other works in here. It is well to remind the Presbyterians, Baptists, Methodists, and all other Christians that the Bible does not support them anywhere in the observance of Sunday. Sunday is an institution of the Roman Catholic Church and those who observe the day observe a commandment of the Catholic Church. This is from Priest Brady in an address reported in the Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey News of March 18th, 1903. And uh, from uh, Constantine in the third century, uh, the Pope Constantine, the Emperor of Rome and uh, Pope, let all the judges and town people and the occupation of all trades rest on the venerable day of the sun. Then from the uh, discernment on the Lord's day, from Sabbath, page 163 and, and 1633, the seventh day Sabbath was solemnized by Christ, the apostles and primitive Christians, till the Laodicean council did in a manner quite abolish this observance of it. The council of Laodicea in AD 364 first settled the observation of the Lord's day. And so when they, uh, and the Trent, the, the Council of Trent earlier in the Council of Laodicea, the, the Roman Catholic councils decreed that it was uh, uh, not correct for Christians to observe Saturday. That was a Judaizers, but they were to be observing Sunday. Now, from the Abridgment of Christian Doctrine, page 58. How prove you that the church has power to command feasts and holy days? Answer, by the very act of changing the Sabbath into Sunday, 
which Protestants allow of, and therefore they fondly contradict themselves by keeping Sunday strictly and breaking most other feasts commanded by the same church. Question. Have you any way other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals of precept? Festivals like uh, Christmas and Easter and Valentine's Day and a lot of Catholic days uh, that uh, we don't, Church of God, that we don't uh, specially observe. Had she not power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. And then from um, Samuel Bakayoki's book, some of you may, have, uh, may know him and talk to him. He has uh, from uh, uh, Sabbath to Sunday, a, a very good book to read. Some of these are in our library. Uh, this is a, a book from The Divine Rest, one of his uh, books. And uh, i just read a paragraph here from page 250. The conclusion that emerges from our investigation is that the adoption of Sunday observance in place of the Sabbath occurred not in the Jerusalem church by apostolic authority to commemorate Christ's resurrection, but rather in the church of Rome during the early part of the second century solicited by external circumstances. An interplay of political, social, pagan, religious, and Christian factors, similar somewhat to those which gave rise to the December 25 observance of Christ's birthday, made it expedient to adopt Sunday as a new day of worship. The fact that Sunday observance rests on questionable expediency rather than on a biblical mandate makes it very difficult for religious leaders to articulate compelling theological reasons which are indispensable to promote the proper observance of God's holy day. So that's just uh, a couple of uh, references there from some of the books that we have. I, I know you're probably real happy that I didn't read the whole books because we would be here for weeks. We know those of us who have collected books, who have bought them, who have got them at used bookstores, who have uh, received uh, many, many, many other little tracts and booklets that uh, quote other larger works that uh, there's a lot of material substantiating the origin of Sunday and where it came from, not from the Bible, but from Catholicism. Now, other religions, this is another point here, I'm skipping some of the points that I mentioned. Other religions are not okay. Now, you can go to the um, Information Almanac or one of your almanacs and get uh, references and statistics of some of the different religions that are on earth, quite a few different religions. Let's look at a few scriptures here first before we look at a few references. And uh, I want to go to 1 Timothy, the second chapter, verse 5. 1 Timothy, second chapter, for there is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. One mediator, Jesus Christ. Not Mohammed, not Buddha, not Confucius, not any other man. Jesus Christ is a mediator between God and man. The next scripture, Acts 4, 10 through 12. Acts 4, 10. Be it known unto you, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let me tell you this. There's no other name given, according to the scriptures, under heaven besides Jesus Christ. There's not salvation. You can't believe in Buddha. You can't believe in Islam. You can't believe in the 12th Imam to come. You can't believe in any man or any woman. Only Jesus Christ can bring salvation to us, whereby we must be saved only 
through him. Now, there are about, uh, according to the Information Almanac, about one and a half billion uh, Christians and Catholics in the world. There is almost one billion Islamists, Muslims. There's about three quarters of a billion of uh, Hindus and about a third billion of Buddhists. And then you can break it down into all other religions. Some are involved in the Eastern Oriental religions, some in other religions, some in Muslim religions, some sects and breakdowns of those religions. But out of about seven billion people on earth today, you can see that's about 60, 70% and other religions in there than atheists, people who don't believe. So. Of all those religions, I can stand here and tell you clearly, there is no salvation in any of them. There is no way a follower of them can be saved except in the name of Jesus Christ and accepting the only true religion on this earth is the Sabbatarian churches of God. Now, for right now, in God's time plan, we know and we understand. This is why the holy days, those seven holy days throughout the year, portray God's plan of salvation and what he's doing. And we know that there are uh, times for uh, each person to have their opportunity for salvation. Now, here's another point. Man does not have an immortal soul that goes immediately to heaven or to hell upon death. Now, we've talked about this before, and I'm not going to go there uh, because back in Genesis, we've had a lot of, we've had several messages about this. One of the first instructions God gave uh, Adam and Eve was uh, that they were not to eat of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. They could eat of the tree of life. They could eat any of the trees they wanted, but not that one. Because the day they ate it, surely they would die. And then along comes the devil. And you can go back in those early chapters of Genesis. And the devil lies and says, God has surely not said you're going to die. And so Eve took it and she ate it. It looked good. And so they, you know, they wanted to know the difference between good and evil like God. And so the devil lied to them. And he told them that they would be like God is and they wouldn't die. Well... Uh, in um, let's let's uh, look at uh, the immortality of the soul, a booklet here. If I can find this, uh, immortality of the soul. This is by um, A. T. Jones. Let me just read a few pages here from this little booklet. Now this is quoting larger works and larger booklets, books, so uh, I've decided just to use some of these smaller booklets here. The doctrine of the natural immortality of the soul is one of the oldest and one of the most widespread doctrines that has ever been in the world. It was preached in the world even before faith in Jesus Christ our Savior was preached. Indeed in our day the doctrine of the immortality of the soul has gained such favor among even those who profess the word of God as their standard of belief that to deny it is considered by the majority of them as equivalent to a denial of the Bible itself. But instead of such denial being in any way a denial of the truth of revelation, the fact is that the truth of revelation can be logically and consistently held only by the total and unequivocal denial of the doctrine of the natural immortality of the soul. And then uh, go back to uh, page uh, 32. Quote here. The doctrine, this is, uh, excuse me for reading here, but very fine print on some of this. It's almost like you need a magnifying glass. So bear with me just a little bit here. Uh, I didn't uh, bring copies of all this for Brian to put on the bulletin board, so you just have to listen to this. The doctrine of the immortality of the soul teaches that the devil told the truth 
For that doctrine teaches that there is no death. And if there is no death, then every man has life, independent of belief in Christ, which, as we have read, from the word makes God a liar. Therefore, the doctrine of the immortality of the soul sets God aside as a liar and exalts Satan as the one who tells the truth and as the one who is to be believed. Here we close our investigation of this subject. These evidences certainly show that the doctrine of the immortality of the soul is subversive of the truth of God. We have proved by logical deduction from sound scripture premises that the doctrine of the immortality of the soul is subversive of the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. That it is a subversive doctrine of the coming of the Lord. That it is subversive of the doctrine of the judgment. That it is subversive of the mission of Christ that it supplants Christ in the honor of opening the way from this world to another and bestows that honor upon Satan. And finally, it puts God aside as a liar and exalts Satan into his place as the one who tells the truth. So, who do we believe? Satan that says, you shall not die, or God that says, you shall die. And he has, after the, now we're going to see here just in a little bit, after the uh, resurrections, that um, Paul, in Acts 24.15, Acts 24.15, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And in Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed unto man once to die. Now these are all familiar scriptures to us. But after this is the judgment. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when, it shall, when he shall be delivered up. The kingdom to God. Even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And there's a lot more in the resurrection chapter. A lot more scriptures about the resurrection. Now, man lives. He's judged. The first resurrection occurs, the believers. The millennium occurs. The second resurrection occurs, and all living come up for judgment. Jesus said, Daniel prophesied the two resurrections, the first resurrection the second resurrection. So everyone who has ever lived is going to have an opportunity to live again but following judgment following determination following a qualification following a time when they are going to be judged and then given life eternal now another point this is another uh, great uh, false doctrine of the devil and the truth is there is not a trinity of God. Three persons. Now, let's look in some of the scriptures first. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6. 1 Corinthians 8, 5 and 6. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, yes, we call lords and we call gods uh, people, but there, to us there is but one God, the Father, and of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. And so, there's one God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in. Now, let me say this. This word in in Greek means into. Go baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But what is the name? What is their name? The name is God. What are we baptized into? Into God, into Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. What is the name? That means by my authority. 
We are baptized into the church of God, into the body of Christ. We're baptized into God. He in us, we in Him. Now, another scripture uh, in Acts 8, 14 through 16. Acts 8. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I say, I'm so used to saying Holy Spirit instead of Holy Ghost. Uh, Holy Ghost sounds kind of ghosty-like, you know, but uh, we know it's Holy Spirit. And so, and just in transfer, we, I, I want to, I should read it correctly, Holy Ghost, but you know what I'm saying. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, when a person is baptized, they're baptized in the name of Jesus. That means by his authority. He told the disciples to go and baptize into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one more scripture that, uh, actually, uh, two scriptures that uh, prove my point. And first is, um, this is one we had to correct. First Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So Ron Kolb is three people. Steve Andrews is three people. He's a body, soul, and spirit. No, one person. Body, soul, and spirit. We know that man has a spirit. We know that man is a soul. He's a living, breathing individual. And he has a body. You don't see three people up here, do you? You see one person. So there's one God. The Father and Jesus Christ comprising one God and their spirit, their mind, their power, their force, their intellect, their mind power that we can accept and we can receive because God is a spirit. Just as humans, we're not spirit now, but we will be spirit one day. We have a soul. We have a breath. We are body, soul, and spirit. Those three. We're not a trinity of people, are we? Persons. So that is one scripture. Now, the other one is in Luke, the first chapter, verse 35. Luke 1. And the angel answered, this is talking about Mary, uh, when the Holy Spirit was uh, telling her about the uh, uh, conception and the coming birth of Jesus. And then the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing... Jesus Christ, which shall be born of you, shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit came on Mary. Was the Holy Spirit a person? Was the Holy Spirit the Father of Jesus? Was the Holy Spirit a person, a second person that came upon Mary and she became pregnant by him? No. The Father is very clear. Many other scriptures show us very clearly Jesus was converted, and I'm speaking very plainly here, converted into the human sperm from the Father, united with the egg and Mary, and that individual, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit, bringing that about, brought about conception and uh, the life of uh, Jesus. So... We know from uh, a number of other scriptures. Now, let me just quote here from um, a booklet here is um, The Godhead, page 2. This, this book here is a little booklet by, um, he quotes Garrison. And uh, this, this booklet is, uh, well, I had the opera. It's a very difficult name to to uh, pronounce any Hyde's name, you have to really look for it, and I can't remember where I found his name before. But uh, he quotes, The American People's Encyclopedia. The doctrine of the Trinity was made official by the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., and was given its definitive statement by the Council of Constantinople, that was, I read that earlier, in 382, uh, 83, 82. The mystical and devotional values 
believed to be guarded by the formula, rather than its intelligibility, have made the Trinitarian doctrine the cornerstone of Orthodoxy in Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, and most Protestant theologies. And so there's more, and you can study uh, about the origin of Catholics and the origin of their doctrine and how Sunday came into their church and how they began to consider the Sabbath as a fast day and as a, as a horrible day, a day to do work and everything. But Sunday was uh, one of the days of the worship of the sun, the sun god, the sun, sun god. And uh, Easter became uh, involved with all of that. And you can, you can go back and chase, uh, trace all of that out. Um, the rapture of the saints is a deception foisted on the world. And let me read from The Rapture of the Saints by McDougall. This little book many of you have here. I'll just uh, read a couple of quotes here. Um, from some of the, the people that were uh, sponsors of, uh, I won't mention a lot of names, but uh, if there's a whole passel of names that you would uh, probably uh, recommend or, or, I mean, would recognize if uh, we read them. Let me just read a few quotes here. And at this very time, Irving heard what he believed to be a voice from heaven commanding him to preach the secret rapture of the saints. This was in the Middle Ages. Obeying this voice, he began to preach that Christ was to come twice, first secretly for his saints, then after an interval of seven years, the reign of Antichrist, gloriously with his saints to destroy Antichrist and to reign. Protestants had always believed, as taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17, that the saints would be caught up, raptured, when Christ would appear in glory. And Irving is commonly supposed to have been the first mention of the whole history of the church of a secret rapture of the saints prior to Christ's appearing in glory. And uh, let's see, uh, page 35 and 36... mentioned Dr. Ironside, uh, has been for years, nearly 30, associated with assemblies of the brethren and had access to documents and sources of information available to very few. He was therefore peculiarly fitted to present the world with an authoritative account of brethrenism. And it was and is and he was, and I believe still is, a sincere believer in the secret rapture theory and appears to regard Jay and Darby as God's chosen instrument. Eighteen centuries after the time of Christ for the revealing this precious truth to the church, we shall not do the brethren much wrong in following his version. And page, uh, oh, let's see, 55 and 56. Let's skip a bunch of uh, other references. There is not a Bible teacher nor anyone else living in the world today who has found a secret rapture in the Bible by his own independent study of the Bible itself. These teachers all come to the Bible with cut and dried theories which they have learned elsewhere and twist and torture text to fit the theory. If the spiritual pedigree of these futuristic Bible teachers could be traced back, they would all be found to spring from one source, Lacunza, the Jesuit, a Catholic Jesuit. And so we know that uh, there are many, many other uh, references. Uh, you can read uh, Saturday or Sunday Witch by Pastor Saunders, uh, the Babylon Mystery Religion. We have this in our, in our uh, directory. And uh, Church of God Outreach Ministries has many booklets and articles and studies, and I'm going to read some of these uh, for you here. So if you don't have any of these, you can get a uh, literature list and request this. I'd be happy to send them to you free. Uh, one of the doctrines that I didn't cover of, of uh, some of them uh, is, uh, let's see, let me go back here. Uh, the biblical holy days are done away. I didn't cover much on that. Uh, 
Israel is non-existent. Only the Jews are a part of Israel. I didn't cover anything on that. Um, homosexual conduct is okay. I didn't cover anything on that. There was an article in the paper today, uh, Governor uh, Fallon's just signed a bill, Law 1007, you want to remember that, 1007, that gives protection to any church or any religion or any minister that does not want to perform a marriage according to a difference of their religious beliefs. So all ministers and all churches and all congregations, this is uh, okay now, even contrary to the laws, so that a minister can say, no, I'm not going to marry you. For whatever reasons, I won't be involved in that wedding. I won't be involved in that ceremony. Our congregation will not be involved. You cannot have the wedding here. That's not what we believe. And that person is protected from being sued or being, uh, well, I mean, you can almost sue anybody in, in America, but uh, we'll have protection by the law in Oklahoma, law number 1007. And uh, the cross, I didn't cover anything about the cross as a symbol, of, you know, where it comes from, and uh, we have to be careful about that. Uh, and uh, let's see, the... Um, Yeah, the prophecy, yeah. You can't understand prophecies uh, because we believe in prophecy, but the world is. They've got it all mixed up and all twisted around, and so that is one of the uh, proofs that we didn't uh, cover. Now, for time's sake, uh, let me... Uh, I was going to read from the CJM article. United, uh, booklets here. United States of Britain and prophecy. Believe it or not, the resurrection was not on Sunday. Why do you observe Sunday? The plain truth about Christmas. Easter, is it Christian? Where did Halloween come from? The end of many studies. Christmas, holiday or holy day? Does God exist? Is hell real? Is Jesus God? Trick or treat? What is the soul? Why Easter Sunday? Will you be left behind? Will you go to heaven? Will you live again? Three days and three nights. These are articles. In the grave. Why? After the resurrection. Are you bound for heaven? Satan's lie. The trinity. Fact or fiction. The Easter story. When someone dies. The resurrection sequence. God is one. And then uh, articles. Uh, when was Jesus born? When was Jesus born? I didn't answer that. We know we've covered that before. He was in the grave Wednesday. Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. He was in the grave Wednesday day, Thursday day, Friday day. He was resurrected. If you might say when he was put in the grave Wednesday, you can say Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. It, it doesn't matter whether you count three nights and three days, but he was resurrected Saturday afternoon before he came to the tomb and met the women that came early Sunday morning. They had bought spices on Friday. They rested the Sabbath. They came to, uh, they rested on the Holy Day Thursday. They rested on the Holy Day Saturday. They bought the spices on Friday and prepared them. They came Sunday morning on a work day to anoint the body of Jesus. And he was gone. The angel says, well, don't you believe him? Uh, he's not here. Like he said, he's gone. So Saturday afternoon, about 6 o'clock, somewhere in that time uh, after uh, the uh, completion of that three days and three nights, someday Saturday afternoon, early, before uh, it got into Sunday too much, he was resurrected. And uh, so we have uh, a lot of uh, testimony, a lot of books, a lot of articles, a lot of references, uh, a lot of scriptures that I haven't looked at here. I've got two scriptures I want to close with here. And uh, John eight forty four. John eight. 44, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, 
you know, uh, that's pretty risky. That's pretty dangerous. Uh, if you call somebody a liar to their face, you know, you can get hit back like that. And uh, that's the justification. Jesus was very bold and very brave. And he called the devil a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. He lied from the very beginning to man. Remember Eve, he said, oh, you shall not surely die. He lied to her. Because they did die. They didn't eat of that tree of life. And uh, God put some angels there to protect it so nobody would come then having the knowledge of good and evil and, and be forever living as a sinner. No, he didn't want that. It's appointed in a man once to die, after that, the judgment, the resurrection. The second scripture, closing here, is uh, John 8, 31, 32, and 36. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then skip up to 36. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Verse 36. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We can thank God in closing. Jesus Christ has made us free. We're free from deception. We're free from lies. We're free from the distortions. We are to come out of this world and be separate from it. That's the invitation. That's the encouragement to Christians, to be a part of that, to be not deceived. We're not to be followers of the devil. We're to be followers of Jesus Christ. And he is the one that created and made everything, and he is the one that is giving us salvation through him and through his name, not through religions or isms or ideologies, but through Jesus Christ. He is the only name given under heaven, whereby we must be saved. So, brethren, in closing, let's not be deceived by the devil, but let's follow truth and be free because we have that truth in Jesus Christ.